he was a fugitive. He was on the run. He was a wanted criminal. He left his homeland. He knew it was death sentence if the authorities got a hold of him. He went to Wittenberg, Germany, where Martin Luther, the great reformer, had placed and posted the 95 Theses on the door of the Roman Catholic Church. It was said that this fugitive met and possibly received some counsel from Martin Luther. What did this man do? What laws did he break? His crime... His rebellion, his breaking of the law was found in his desire to see the Bible translated into his own language. See, the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s made it unlawful to translate the Bible or teach the Bible as a layman. The law only allowed the Catholic Church to teach God's word. They said it was dangerous for the common person to know the Bible And teach it to others. And this fugitive's name was William Tyndale. A brilliant, godly man who was fluent in eight languages. Including Greek and Hebrew. Tyndale had disdained the Roman Catholic Church for keeping the truth away from his own countrymen. So after numerous attempts of trying to translate the Bible into English, where he escaped a raid and survived a shipwreck, William Tyndale finally translated the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, into English. Amen. After 11 years of being a fugitive, on the run, working tirelessly, his dream finally came to fruition. The people of England could finally read the Bible for themselves in their own language. I wish the story ended with Tyndale and his colleagues being exonerated by the Roman Catholic Church and the church repenting for keeping the truth away from the people But I'm sad to say that wasn't the case. That's not what happened. Tyndale, along with his eight colleagues, were finally apprehended by the English authorities and were martyred. Tyndale had a chain wrapped around his neck, which strangled him. But before they strangled Tyndale, he yelled out, Lord, open the eyes of the king of England. With a chain tightened, he choked to death while simultaneously having his body burned to death. And finally, they dropped his course, his whole, his body into gunpowder where his body literally exploded into pieces. Before Tyndale's martyrdom, seven couples were burned alive just for teaching their children the Lord's Prayer. Can we imagine being killed? Being persecuted? Just because we wanted to teach our family God's word. Hearing stories like Tyndale causes us to turn from the lighthearted things we may want to focus on. And brings us to the reality of the war that we're in. The spiritual battle that we face. We begin to think seriously, soberly about life. About God. About death. About the importance of God's word. We are reminded how valuable 
God's word really is and the treasure that we have in this room. This treasure we hold in our hands is stained with many martyrs' blood. Many faithful men and women have died to have the scriptures in their possession, believing in Jesus Christ. We still today have faithful brothers and sisters who are being persecuted all over the world for having a Bible in their possession and because they are trying to live out their faith in Christ Jesus. What a blessing we have in this country. The freedoms we take for granted so often. I wonder this morning if we look at the Bible as a treasure, as a jewel. Do we praise God for the opportunity to have our very own Bible? We can actually read the Bible for ourselves. Or do we take the Bible, Scripture, God's Word for granted? Are we in awe of the fact that we have the literal words of God at our fingertips at any moment that we choose? Well, this morning... We'll be in Psalm 19, where I entitled this message, The Underestimated Treasure. So open your Bibles to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. As we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, are so blessed. There's so many blessings at our fingertips, Father. We have your word, numerous translations of your word. Most of us have many Bibles just sitting around all over our houses, Father. Thank you for your opportunity. Help us not to ignore such a wonderful treasure we have at our fingertips. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for what he's done for us. That we can actually be a child of God. Recognizing how wicked we are and still struggle even as children of God. You still forgive us of all past, present, and future sin. Those who have turned to you, repented of their sin, Father. We thank you for your grace upon us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's read. Psalm 19, 7 through 10, and it says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous Altogether, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The first thing that jumps off the page is the various uses of God's word. We see the words law, testimony, precepts, commands, commandments, decrees. These are all synonyms for the word of God. David uses different words to describe scripture to show that it is all important. 
Every decree, every testimony, every law, etc. is important because it's been breathed out by God. And if we look back to verses 7 and 8, and they'll be on the screen, we see what Scripture is and what Scripture does to us. Let's look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. That's what Scripture is. Reviving the soul. That's what Scripture does to us. The second part of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure. That's what Scripture is. Making wise the simple. That's what Scripture does to us. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. That's what Scripture is. It's right. Rejoicing the heart. That's what Scripture does to us again. The commandment of the Lord is pure. That's what Scripture is. It's pure. Enlightening the eyes. That's what Scripture does to us. Do we see Scripture for what it is this morning? Have we experienced what Scripture does to us? Well, let's dig a little deeper as verse 7 begins by saying, the law of the Lord is perfect. David says, God's word is perfect. It's whole, without blemish, undefiled. But why is the Bible perfect, without blemish, whole, and undefiled? Well, this leads to point number one. The words of Scripture are the very words of God. Let me say that again. The words of Scripture are the very words of God. When we're reading the Bible, we're actually listening to God himself. God would say no more or no less than what his holy word says if we could have a face-to-face conversation with him this morning. God's Word teaches us about Christ. God's Word shows us how to glorify the Father. God's Word guides us into making wise decisions. God's Word counsels us on how to have godly marriages. God's Word instructs us on how to train our children. God's Word shows us how to live in fellowship with the Father. God's Word transforms us from the inside out. God's Word is the mind of God revealed to humanity. Amen? So what is the outcome of having God's word to us through his word? Well, let's look back at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. What scripture is, right? Reviving the soul. What scripture does to us? God's word revives the soul. It refreshes the soul. God's word replenishes the soul. It renews the soul. It restores our soul. Would we expect anything less from the perfect words of God? I mean, think about it. The Word of God is undefiled. We are defiled. The Word of God is perfect. We are sinful. The Word of God is complete. We are a work in progress. The Word of God is sufficient. We are in desperate need and desperate help of God every day. Which leads to point number two. Scripture nourishes the soul. Scripture nourishes the soul. When Jesus is being tempted by Satan... In the wilderness, 
to make stones in the bread, he answers Satan by saying this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus' point is that following God's word is first a priority, even more of a basic It's more important a priority than our basic need of eating and drinking to nourish our physical body. Let me ask you a question. What if we only had time to either read God's word or eat? Which one would you choose? I know there's some sneaky people in here and you're thinking, I would do both. I would eat and read the scripture at the same time. So I guess that is a possibility. But my point is, how important is God's word to us? Is it a priority to read, meditate, spend time in God's word? Well, verse 7 goes on. But I'll read the first part of verse 7 as well. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Again, what scripture is, it's sure. So David says at first that the word of God is perfect. And if it's perfect, then we know it is sure. We can depend on it. It is God's word and it's reliable, which leads to point number three. God's word is perfect. It is trustworthy. Point number three says that God's word is perfect. It is trustworthy we can trust scripture we can depend on it we can lean on it scripture is for life and godliness the bible says and we at the family church believe the bible is god's word and it's inerrant and infallible so we say that the bible is inerrant which means without Error. Let me say that again. We believe the Bible's inerrant, which means without error. And also we believe that the Bible is infallible, which means incapable of having error. Let me say that again. Infallible means incapable of having error. So we believe the Bible is both inerrant and infallible. But I must say we have many who say that the Bible is full of error because of the ancient manuscripts that have been corrupted by men over time, right? We've all heard this. And I think we have to have faith. But we don't have to have blind faith. We can actually have informed faith. We have a collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during a lifetime that was passed on to other witnesses. And to this day, we have a staggering 6,000 biblical manuscripts of biblical text in comparison to other ancient works like Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars and Aristotle's Poetics, where we have no more than 10 copies of their ancient manuscripts. The facts speak for themselves, brothers and sisters. But I must caution us, though, because this is just a launching pad to get into the gospel because no one will be saved because we give evidence and factual proofs. People are transformed by sharing God's word with people. But let me say it does help if we can give an answer to people's questions, an informed response to what people are asking. 
but then move into the gospel. The word of God is inerrant and infallible. It is trustworthy. Scripture is more dependable than what we think and how we feel. Scripture is more dependable than our own experience. That means if my experience tells me something that contradicts Scripture, then I believe God's word over my own firsthand experience. I trust God's word over my own thinking. Scripture is the believer's reality. So what happens to the person who trusts in Scripture? What happens to this person? Well, David says at the end of verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. And a simple-minded person in Scripture is describing someone who is open-minded to a fault. They don't know right from wrong. They are easily influenced and swayed. They lack discernment and judgment. They can't tell when they're going over the cliff or when they're in danger. The simple-minded would be comparable to a child who runs out in the street oblivious to the possible dangers. So the question is, how does God's word make someone wise? How does God's word make someone wise? Well, we know this starts when we turn to Christ in faith and turn away from ourselves. We submit to Christ as Lord and Savior. And then we're washed clean, right, of our sin, our past, present, and future sin. And we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what is known as the new birth or regeneration. The follower of Christ continues to spend time, meditate on the word of God, which Ephesians 6 tells us is the sword of the spirit. The word of God is the actual sword of the spirit, which means the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to pierce our hearts in the deepest ways and transform us from the inside out. And the outcome is like what the psalmist says in Psalm 119 100, you can just reference that, Run 119, 100, and it says this, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Let me read that again, my voice is a little unclear. I said this, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. The psalmist says, I have more wisdom, more knowledge than older folks, I know it's not politically correct, or the retired folks, because I obey your word. God gives his children wisdom from above when they live out the word of God. We have to remember that wisdom does not have age limits. Nor does foolishness, right? Spending time with God in his word leads to wisdom, to understanding, because the power of the Holy Spirit is working and using it. Are we growing in wisdom this morning? Are we spending time meditating on God's holy word? Well, verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right. Verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right. God's word is not only perfect, sure, trustworthy, but here we see it is Right, the scripture says. It is truth above all other supposed truths. 
We can read other books. We can glean fragments of truth in other materials. But ultimately, we get the whole truth, nothing but the truth, the exhaustive truth, the eternal truth, only in the Scripture alone. And the psalmist says that it causes the heart to rejoice. It causes the heart to rejoice. We rejoice because we find something that is dependable and true. It withstands the test of time and continues to dupe all the critics. God's word is our anchor. It's our guide. The rest of verse 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. What it does to us. The NIV says it a little clear here, so I'll use it. And it says, The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And we get a picture of someone who is walking down a path, a dark path, but the path is lit because they have a bright flashlight to point them in the direction to continue to follow the pathway. Which leads to point number four. Scripture lights our way. Scripture lights our way. God's word gives us clarity. It shows us how to live. I want to just give us a few examples, or actually two examples of how Scripture guides our path. And I'm going to use the example of a single young man. And advice Scripture gives a single young man. How should a single young man look at women? How should they? Well, the Bible says clearly how they should. Paul says to young Timothy by saying, treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. 1 Timothy 5, 2. So Paul says for single men to think of all women like they were family. Think of older women like your own mother and younger women like sisters. This will help you stay pure and not give in and fall into lustful temptations. God's word gives us clarity. It gives us perfect counsel for wherever we're at in life. Another example could be somebody maybe contemplating marrying someone who's an unbeliever. We know this one. Scripture says not to be unevenly yoked with unbelievers, right, in Corinthians. And this passage specifically is talking about friendships. But if we aren't supposed to be close to those and be friends with them who aren't believers, then surely we shouldn't become one flesh and marry an unbeliever either, right? That's clear. That's clear Scripture. God's word makes our paths straight. It clarifies. It gives us counsel. It protects us often from our own bad thinking. Verse 9 and 10 of Psalm 19 goes on and says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of honeycomb. But I want to specifically focus on verse 10 because I think I'm going to lose my voice if I continue to talk. Verse 10 says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. This is, by the way, where I got my 
title to my message, Underestimated Treasure. David compares God's word to gold, to honeycomb. David compares scripture to the most valuable treasure David could think of. Gold and the sweetest taste that money could buy in the ancient world. How many of us look at God's word like gold? Like the most valuable treasure that you own. What we treasure, we think about. What we treasure, we daydream about. What we treasure, we desire. What we treasure, we often want more of. Is this how we think of Christ and his word this morning? Do we treasure God's inerrant, infallible word? What would happen if I told you that I would give you $100 every time you read God's word? What would happen? What do you think would happen? I would assume this would motivate many of us to read God's word and we'd have a lot more theologians and scholars on our hands. So I'm going to speak on behalf of Pastor Casey. I think he's feeling a little generous this morning and I say that if you read God's word, he's going to give you $100 every time you open up your Bible. Thank you, Casey, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but it seems we are more inclined, more motivated to read God's word. If we are being paid, then read God's word because it pleases the one that we are supposedly supposed to be living for. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What we treasure is what we love. What we love is what we treasure. This isn't about loving a book, about worshiping words. But the Bible, Scripture, God's Word is a reflection of our love for God Himself. If we don't love Scripture, then you can know that we don't love God either. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. Scripture points to Christ. You just jot this reference down, but Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Luke, I think you're going to have to come finish the rest of the, the sermon. Jesus is saying here, I didn't come to change or make the law better. No, he says, I came to fulfill it, to bring it together, to make it whole, to complete it. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of Scripture. I bring com completeness to the Word of God. Which leads to point number five. Jesus is why we treasure Scripture. Jesus is why we treasure Scripture. We don't treasure Scripture because it makes our life better, nor do we treasure Scripture because it promises blessings, nor do we treasure Scripture because it helps our marriage better or it makes our children a little better. Even though mine were out of control this morning, but it doesn't do that. That's not why we should be Reading scripture, we treasure scripture because Christ is 
Scripture. Christ is our Lord and Redeemer. He is found in Scripture alone. Kevin DeYoung says this, because Christ fulfills Scripture, we view everything in the Old and New Testament in light of Christ. And we defend the Bible by preaching and teaching Christ. When we are reading the Word, do we see Christ? When we are meditating on the Old or New Testament, do we see Christ? When we are memorizing the Scripture, do we see the Redeemer, Christ? Christ is the Word, and the Word is Christ. If we love Christ, we will love His Word. If we don't love His Word, then you can surely know you don't love Christ. They go hand in hand, brothers and sisters. What or who do we treasure this morning? Well, in conclusion, what a glorious treasure we have in God's word. May we read it with the tenacity that the Lord desires. May we hunger and thirst for righteousness that is at our fingertips at every moment of the day. May we read and meditate on God's word until our heart sings that we are his and he is ours. May we live our lives around this great privilege we have from our loving father to read and know his word, which all points to Christ. Where your heart is there, your treasure is also. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we are humble. We recognize that we often forget how important your word is. We don't often study it the way we should. We don't often obey it the way we should. We recognize, Father, that your word gives us life through Christ. Help us to be diligent, followers of you, to be disciplined in our studies. But we recognize at the same time we will never be who we are supposed to be until we get to heaven. We recognize that we will continue to be a work in progress. So we thank you for your grace and your love that continues to be patient with us. But help us, like Paul says, to never use that as a license to sin and be lackadaisical. As we think of the great leaders of the past that were diligent in your word. We look at examples like Paul and even Christ who depended on your word to battle Satan. Help us to think that highly of your word because we recognize it is actually from you. And it is you, Father. We love you and praise you. It's through Christ's name. Amen.